Welcome to the HTLL podcast. We are your co-hosts, Tino Movuti, Technical Advisor for Water, Sanitation and Hygiene. And Emily Hirata, Technical Advisor for Health and Nutrition. In our last episode, we discussed some basics about SBC or social behavior change with Jason Brooks. If you haven't already listened to that episode, please do. It'll give you a background to what we'll be discussing today. We'll be continuing that discussion on SBC, but looking at it in the context of emergencies. Many of our ADRA offices implement programs in emergency contexts. And now with our new COVID-19 reality, this topic seems more relevant than ever. With us, we have Peter Schmid. Peter is a monitoring and evaluation and behavior change consultant, and he is currently working with ADRA in Yemen on SBC, and he has a lot of experience providing SBC support for programs in many other emergency settings with a lot of organizations like Save the Children and Action Against Hunger, among others. Peter, welcome to the HTLL podcast. Hi, and thank you for the invitation to this chat. Peter, we wanted to take just a few minutes today to ask you some questions on the topic of SBC and emergencies. As someone who has worked to support SBC, both in emergency and non-emergency settings, can you tell us what makes SBC and emergencies different from other SBC work? I might be slightly controversial, but I think that the main difference is in how people think about social and behavioral change. In the development context, using SBC approaches and tools is much more common because people know that if they want to see a real impact, they have to change uh, people's behaviors. In the humanitarian context, the primary focus has been on delivering stuff such as food, uh, wash items, health services, and so on. Projects sometimes also chipping maybe some awareness raising activities or some education based activities but often that's it. Often there isn't really like a specific focus on SBC. And sometimes you can hear a humanitarian worker saying, but humanitarian work is about saving people's lives. It's not about changing their behaviors. Or some people say, well, we don't have time to do behavioral change. We must do the real stuff, which usually means again, like distributions or provision of services. But this thinking, I would say it has several weaknesses. Let's look at the current emergencies, like the main, the major emergencies that are going on these days, like Yemen, Syria, or in East Africa. Most of them, they are protracted crises that are lasting for years. So in most situations, there definitely is the time to work on behavioral change. And uh, aside from the like, most acute phases of such emergencies, for example, like during or after heavy fighting, or if there are some massive floods and so on. The main reasons why people, especially children, like the most vulnerable ones, why they lose their lives are things like diarrhea, acute respiratory infections, undernutrition, or malaria. And when you look at what is the best way to reduce these causes of death, you can see that it is through different behaviors that reduce. This, this risk. It can be hand washing, it can be breastfeeding, it can be the use of mosquito nets and so on. 
So it means that if we are serious about saving lives, we need to enable people to practice such behaviors. And now, please don't get me wrong, distributions that provide people with different goods, such as food and or soap, they are definitely very important, but they are not enough to ensure that people practice the behaviors that protect their lives. And I would say that traditionally, this recognition was not very prevalent in the humanitarian sector compared to the development context. But at the same time, I believe that uh, over the past years, things have definitely started to change. And uh, I would say that, for example, the work that Adra is doing in, uh, in Yemen is a good example of it. Interesting. So a change in perspective and a way of thinking. Very interesting. So, so given these differences between, I guess we could say, normal SBC and SBC in emergencies, what special challenges or considerations are there regarding implementing SBC in emergencies and, and how can they be addressed? It sounds like you've already touched upon a little bit, but can you expand a little bit more? Mm -hmm, definitely. There are definitely several things that we need to consider. The first one is that uh, if you want to enable people to practice behaviors that can protect or improve their lives, it's not enough just to organize like a single awareness raising session where we come, we tell people what they should be doing, and uh, then we expect that people will do it. Usually there is a need for more frequent communication that is based on dialogue, not based on lecturing. But this requires two things having a relatively stable access to the target population and ensuring that the people who promote these behaviors, that they have good communication and facilitation skills. And none of these are easy to ensure in general, but they are especially quite difficult to ensure in the in emergency context due to insecurity, the restrict, restrict movement, uh, due to the like more difficulty of, for example, providing some uh, uh, a capacity building support to people who promote the, the behaviors and so on. So that's why it's quite important that humanitarian interventions work on strengthening the SBC skills of those stakeholders who are the closest to the target population, like for whom it is the easiest to physically reach people. And these can be, for example, community health volunteers, extension workers, different market actors, and so on. Because these stakeholders, they are really the most important, I call them agents of, uh, of change. Another consideration is regarding timing. I, I often hear that humanitarian projects are too short and behavioral change takes uh, too long. Uh, but often that's not really the case here. Because first of all, even if a humanitarian project takes just 12 months, often there is a follow-up project. So even if you don't, uh, so if you don't, think within the time frame of a single project only, the room for change, I would say, is there. Second, even more important point, the question of how long does it take to achieve a change in people's practices is primarily about the frequency or about the density of behavioral change activities. It's less about their duration. So uh, let me give you an example. If you target mothers of young children, then having, uh, for example, biweekly meetings over a relatively short period, like for example, five months, is likely to bring much bigger change, like much better results than if you meet them only several times over the course of one, uh, one or two years. At the same time, you can imagine that people who are affected by emergencies, they already have quite a lot on their plate. 
So it's important that we are realistic about the amount of change that we are encouraging them to do, that we are asking them to do. There are really dozens, if not like hundreds of wash and health and nutrition and other behaviors that uh, people can follow, but it's not really feasible to promote them all. So my recommendation would be to focus on a smaller number of those behaviors that are likely to have the biggest impact and that people feel like they can follow considering their, their situation. And perhaps with, with some support from uh, humanitarian, from humanitarian uh, agencies. So simply like asking for less change can sometimes bring uh, bigger, uh, bigger, bigger results. Maybe one last consideration is that uh, compared to the development context, because SBC is still something relatively newish to the emer to, to emergencies. So therefore, in the emergency context, there are usually less people who are more experienced in SBC. That's why it's worth establishing some connections with more experienced SBC practitioners, especially with national SBC experts who can, who can support your work. Yeah, definitely. That's that's super important. And I I think there's always improvement from making those connections and and increasing learning and, and getting that support. I really like what you said about being realistic about what you you want to promote. I think I think that's really important. Um, given the considerations that you've mentioned, uh, what would you say are some of the most common SBC mistakes? made in emergency projects? Hmm. Well, I would say that the main, main mistake that is, but it's not common just to emergency projects only, is that many aid workers think that SBC is primarily about educating people about what they should be doing and why. But I would say that social and behavioral change is about much more. And uh, maybe that would bring me to my second point, and that is that or to the second mistake is that humanitarian activities, they are often designed based on assumptions about why people don't practice the promoted behaviors. And the most common assumption is that people don't practice uh, promoted behaviors because they don't know that they should practice them or because they are not aware of their benefits. Therefore, we have like so many so-called awareness raising sessions and other education-based activities, even though uh, when you look at it, like when you get some data, lack of knowledge often is not the main barrier to change. What needs to be done instead is to collect really like hard data that are showing the real reasons why people do or why they don't practice these behaviors that we promote or that we want to promote and then address these reasons. So it's important that we make the programming decisions based on data, not based on assumptions. Uh, another mistake is that sometimes we also tend to promote solutions from the from the top because we know maybe like from research that they this is something that works, but without really looking at uh, which solutions people already use. For example, when I work in a refugee camp in Jordan, I saw just how very creative were some people when it comes to finding solutions. Uh, to saving water or to ensuring that their family members uh, wash hands at the, at the right at the, at the right moment or that children are well nourished. And in many cases, finding these positive examples, like, you know, we call them the positive deviants, and promoting what they already do can uh, often work much better than uh, just 
relying on solutions that I have brought from outside. Thanks so much for that. I, I really liked what you said because one thing that we don't always do a good job at as development workers is to own up to our mistakes. And I think it's important that you've mentioned these mistakes because they help us to build up from there. Um, so going on from there, could you please share with us some examples of good SBC interventions in emergencies? Definitely, I can. Otherwise, it would sound as if there are just mistakes made when it comes to SBC in emergencies. But for sure, there are also many good practices when it comes to SBC in emergencies. So, for example, seven years ago, I worked in South Sudan on a project that aimed to prevent undernutrition among, among young children. And there are several things that I liked about the project. First, it was not about promoting so solutions just from the top based on some official guidance and so on. It was based on talking to mothers about what uh, I call them small doable actions. Uh, so it means like some small steps they can take to improve their children's health and diet. And at the same time, it helped them, it helped mothers or generally like parents produce nutritious crops. So it was quite feasible for the uh, families to do, to do what they were encouraged to do. Uh, these, uh, it was primarily mothers to a more limited extent fathers. They were meeting frequently to discuss their, their experience and to learn something new. So SBC was more like seen as a process, not as a, like a single activity. Uh, the project, uh, I was also, I, this was one of the few occasions where I really managed to be present right from the beginning to the end of the, of the project, so I could also see its results. And the project had very good um, results when it comes to improving children's diversity and also uh, reducing the prevalence of diarrhea, which, as you know, for sure, are particularly, both, both of them are very big preconditions for improving the nutritional status of children. To achieve the kind of success that you've just talked about, what kind of preparation do you think is required for an organization or a humanitarian to be effective at SBC when a disaster or an emergency strikes? Hmm. Yeah, so I would say that uh, the first step that really everyone can do is uh, to read one of the many behavioral change guides that were recently published. In the past, I would say five years, there were many very good uh, SBC toolkits, manuals, e-learning courses made available. And if you invest even really just a half day of your time, I believe that you can get a like, solid understanding of the basics of SBC. So this would be my first step, how to get prepared. Just uh, get the basics right so that uh, like people, uh, when they talk about SBC, they have some kind of like a similar uh, shared understanding of what SBC is really about. When it comes to what organizations can do, uh, I, I try to emphasize during this podcast is that we need to make our programming decisions based on data, not based on assumptions. So what organizations can do is to prepare some interview questions or focus group discussion questions that they can, when an emergency strikes, uh, integrate into, the, into their surveys so that they understand what are the real barriers to practicing the behaviors that can protect people. 
and this will help them ensure that they are acting based on data, not just based on some assumptions. And this is really the, the main principle of SBC, designing activities based on real data instead of just automatically going for awareness raising activities, education-based activities, distributions, and so on. It can really make a big difference in the effectiveness of emergency response. Another example might be, for example, when it comes to uh, IEC materials, such as posters or some training materials and so on. Several times I experienced how behavioral change work got, got quite significantly delayed because organizations had to find or design relevant IC materials. So having a database of IC materials that organizations can quickly adjust to the barriers or to the enablers that they are addressing can really save uh, them lots, uh, lots of time. And, and as, I, as I mentioned earlier, perhaps having a network of SBC experts, ideally, ideally both uh, not only like international ones, but also in country, who can provide you with the expertise that you need can also be very helpful. And as a final word of advice, what would you recommend to someone who wants to learn more about SBC? Well, first I would say that learning about what drives uh, people's behavior is really super interesting. It's definitely worth investing some of your time into learning about how change happens, how can you understand what influences people's behavior, what works, what doesn't work, and so on. So it's worth at least like a few, or uh, maybe at least few of your hours or a few of your uh, days uh, spent on just diving into this into this interesting topic when it comes to uh, what uh, how how can you how can you learn more sbc more about sbc my main recommendations would be first of all in your work just try to be curious be curious about why some people practice the behaviors that your project promote and why others don't if you can talk to people who are supposed to practice the behavior or just ask your m and &E staff to find, to find out. You can also encourage the same curiosity among your colleagues, especially those who work at the field, field level, those who are closest to your target population. And also, it's quite important, those that make uh, some key programming de decisions, who decide what kind of activities will be implemented, how, and so on. You will see that if you like employ this curiosity, you will see that the reasons for change or that the reasons for lack of change are often a bit different from what we see. That it's not just about people's uh, people's knowledge. Second opportunity, how you can learn more is what I already mentioned. That there are many great guidance materials that you can take advantage of. So, for example, GIZ has recently published a practitioner's guide called Social and Behavioral Change, Insights and Practice. You can easily find it on Google. And you can uh, have a look, you can download this, this guide and within no more than half a day, you can go through it and get a really good overview of how to use SBC in your work. It's available also in, uh, in French. Well, and maybe my last tip would be an invitation. In the second half of 2020, there is a series of very good SBC webinars being organized by the Agriculture, Nutrition and Health Academy. If you Google SBC webinars 
ANH Academy, you will be able to access the recording of the two webinars that already took place, and you can also register for the upcoming webinars. That is amazing. Thank you for all of those resources. And thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us and share with us your your thoughts and your insight on SPC and emergencies. I, I really love how you say to employ curiosity. I think that really sums up SBC really well in a in a very creative way. And I I, I really appreciate that. Um, it's it's been really insightful, and I know that this will be useful for our address staff throughout the network. Um, so we we really appreciate you sharing your expertise and knowledge with us. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I enjoyed the chat with you. And for those of you listening, if you would like to learn more about SBC and emergencies or other topics regarding health, nutrition, and WASH, feel free to contact the Health Technical Learning Lab at healthtll at adra.org. To listen to this episode again or to listen to other episodes of the HTLL podcast, please find us on Podbean or visit the podcast folder on the TLL eNet site. With that, I'm Emily. And I'm Tino. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another episode on the HTLL podcast.